Welcome. You're listening to the Good Code podcast and I'm your host Sanket. In this podcast, we talk to experienced developers about the art and science of writing good code and everything around building and maintaining software. Good Code podcast is supported by DeepSource, which is an automated code review tool that helps developers write better code. Check it out at deepsource.io. This is episode four. Today, uh, we have our guest, Chuk. She has spent five years researching theoretical physics at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology before moving to build a career in data science. She has worked with a bunch of startups before joining Terminus DB, where she's working on building a revolutionary graph database. She's, she has contributed a number of open source projects, such as Pandas, Keras, scikit-learn, etc., and also maintains a bunch of open source libraries. And she's also on the organizing team of many meetup groups and conferences like EuroPython. Welcome to the podcast, Chuk. We're so glad to have you here. Hello, hello. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Great. So uh, first things first, like, you know, you, you came from uh, a theoretical physics background, so from academia to uh, data science. So would love to know how did that shift happen? Oh, wow. It actually came from, so actually I moved country. So that's the turning point. So, but, you know, I don't know how detailed you want it to be, but I, you know, I study and then I kind of, there was a point that in my academic life that I feel that is kind of quite narrow, the field that I'm studying. And I feel that I want to explore a little bit more about other knowledge. So I decided to not you know, to stop my, you know, study of research and then change, kind of like changing my career because uh, I study physics, as you know, and like, and I'm from Hong Kong, which is a very commercialized, very economically, it's like really like doing very well. That's a city that is like mainly for that. And so, yeah, so doing science is something that, you know, it's difficult to find a job that is related to that. So then I kind of, I changed to do a little bit of like kind of analytics for companies because like I have some programming skills because I use, you know, some C code <laughs> in in my research. So I kind of, I can do a little bit of like programming and also like, well, of course, the so that, that was kind of like earlier stage of, you know, business intelligence, business analysis. So mainly it's like using Excel, people would be already very happy about it. <laughs> so um, not until when I moved to UK, then I kind of, I take another break that, you know, the first year I was in UK, I was just doing part-time. And then I went to some meetups that I have met people that working in data science, all this exciting stuff. And then they encouraged me to try to, you know, you know, do something that is somehow related to what I did before, but it's another level. So I start learning Python and start, you know, doing some data science courses online. And then until I found my first uh, job in a travel company. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. So how does it feel like, like coming from academia and then uh, starting to work as a programmer or as a data scientist, what are the main differences in, in, in working in academia and, you know, writing code professionally? 
Yeah. So that's actually, I would say that it's like kind of three different style I've experienced. So I've experienced coding in academic settings, you know, mainly for writing simulation for your experiment. Another is like working in a business, more like more business oriented environment that, you know, even data science sometimes could be a little bit like more business oriented. It depends on the company, on the culture of the team. And the other setting would be like what I'm doing right now, more like, you know, developing for open source. So this is like a totally different setting in my point of view. So in academics, it's mainly the goal is to really get the, the research results that you want. So so nobody will really like look at your code. Well, even though now it's like, I think, uh, well, I've left academia for a long time, but like from what I've seen from the outside that like now the, the requirement for having, you know, some code at least you can publish with your paper, so it needs to be decent. But back in that day, uh, your code would mainly be used by you and your fellow, you know, um, researchers, like your schoolmates or, or like, or some other students that come after you, you may have some code, you know, pass on to them. So sometimes this code quality is not that good, I would say, now looking back. I also receive code from, you know, uh, some other PhD student, like kind of, you know, they are, they are the you know, in front of me, they they have done this kind of, kind of research for a longer time, and yeah, and like sometimes you know because we're just sitting next to each other, and then they can just run through the code with me, so there isn't a a need of writing good comments or writing the code so people can understand. So maybe things have changed. That was like a long time ago, and that was like you know not Python, so maybe things are different. And then in data science, I think there are more a requirement of like code need to be understandable because you may want to like write a report you have to report to the stakeholder of course like you will write it in a in a way that you know like people who are not you know uh, coders they will understand but at the same time you may also talk to your fellow colleagues who are like you know data scientists or analysts who know a little bit of coding so you want to make it like readable and sometimes use because like if you're working in a company and sometimes you work with people that are not at the same place. I remember in the, the in my first job, I already got like colleagues in, you know, from Israel, from Spain. So you have to be able to have all these well documented so um, you can pass them around to, to, to other people. So that's another thing. And also, I think it's at that point that I start like looking at you know, start using GitHub. So it's kind of like a way that people share code. So if you want people to really like your code and, you know, if even if it's your pet project, you want to um, put it in GitHub and maybe, or like present it to someone in the, in, like from the internet, then you have to really make that accessible. You may have to write a blog to explain, you know, step-by-step step and also like things need to be, you know, more modular. So it's like more packaged in a way that, you know, just a stranger could also download it and use it. So the requirement of coding is like slightly higher, but like it's not the same as open source. Like that's for me, the first time I contribute to a project, like I remember my first project was Stage Util, but my really first project that the requirement is really blow my mind is pandas because they have so many so many checks <laughs> yeah like even you you have a white space at the end of the line you get a complaint so like the standard of having your code integrity for open source project like is really really high <laughs> i think that's that's a good thing i don't say that is is bad i really like having some standard and so that's why i think you know that's why i like open source project that much because everybody can see it so also like 
uh, I, I know that it's like for, for a lot of beginners, they will have this peer pressure that, oh my God, I'm uploading my code for everybody to see that it needs to be really good. So yeah, I, I understand that. And so that's why everybody is trying to like make their code really nice, including me. I'm like sometimes a bit OCD. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, that's, that's totally different. Right. And so, so basically what you're saying is, you know, in academia, people generally write code in a very ad hoc manner, if I, if I got that right. Yeah. And so it's maybe like to... you achieve the, the experiment, like, you know, I, I was doing some kind of simulation of some, you know, EM wave. So like, you just need to get the results that you wanted. Like, of course, you ensure that that's the correct one. You don't get the wrong result, but like how you achieve it, nobody really cares. Like nobody really cares that, you know, well, of course you don't want it to be super slow, but like, you know, if you got the resources, even you write some very inefficient code, if you create your result on time, nobody really cares. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. And when, when you come to open source, and as you said, with your experience uh, with pandas, the, the conventions are pretty, pretty strict. Like, you know, the yeah. pull requests get rejected if they don't follow specific conventions yeah. so i think yeah that that would be you know a very stark difference when you write yeah. code in academia versus when you write code in an open source project oh i want to touch on the point of uh, contributing to pandas so it's like my pull request doesn't get rejected because luckily i joined a sprint you know that is organized by mark glacia like he's one of the pandas uh, maintainer and joining a sprint is actually really good because your PR won't be like directly just rejected because there you will have someone like Mark that is like almost like a mentor help you to, you know, or like or other maintainers will guide you. Like they will give you, you know, feedback and you can, you know, improve until you get your PR to a acceptable state. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the role of mentors in open source products is fairly it's 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 fairly critical. I think because a lot of these projects that you mentioned, for example, Pandas, hugely popular library, and there are a lot of other libraries like, for example, Keras and you know Scikit-Learn. So it could be pretty difficult when a, a new contributor who who has never contributed to any other open source project when they want to contribute. So I think the role of mentors is 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 very very important. And again, you know, it's it's fairly common. There are a lot of lot of these open source communities which are very friendly, beginner friendly. So, you know, they not they won't reject your pull requests right away, but, you know, help you do that. And I think that is where, you know, tooling becomes very important because, you know, yeah. if you have automated checks, if you have automated tooling and style conventions, I think, you know, these days, all programming languages have sophisticated tools like Python, of course, has yes. Black, which has, you know, kind oh, yeah. of taken over. <laughs> taken over everything so i think i think it's very very you know for open source projects if they have tooling in place it becomes very easy for contributors what do yeah. you think about that yeah i think like because now the role has changed now like i go from a contributor well i, I still occasionally a contributor to other projects but like i also maintain some projects then i feel that yeah sometimes you know luckily like or, or maybe i don't know i don't want to put luckily but like we don't have that much you know like compared to pandas like we don't get that much contribution yet that like basically reviewing them just one by one is not difficult but i think yeah when you get to a, a place like pandas or secular and that you know i kind of see how, like the maintaining like maintainers team would be very very busy 
you know, because there's so many pull requests and, you know, and some of them maybe is like some mistake that is a common mistake that's made by everybody. Then like if you can automate this process, I think it's good for, you know, for both parties, like for people who contribute, they will be like, you know, they have been guided to avoid those mistakes and correct them, you know, like the style, for example. And for maintainers, like kind of keeping them sane. So <laughs> they would be, uh, they have, you know, they could use their time more efficiently. So yeah, that, that's a really good, good tool to have. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you have been uh, leading developer relations at Terminus TV, and you have been also contributing to uh, a lot of open source projects. Uh, specifically talking about terminus db it's a it's a it's a database yeah so not everyone can can contribute right away because you know database is a complex piece of software right yes yes (laughs) yeah so what i what i want to touch upon is the contributors that you have like you know when a new contributor joins or let's say you have many contributors trying to you know do something you know fix bugs or add new features things like that what is it that you think has been the biggest challenge as a maintainer of a project? What do you think has been the biggest challenge in managing those contributors? Or, or and, and, and the other part of the question would be to encouraging new developers to contribute. Yeah, I think, well, for us, like, I well... I, I can say that yeah the the back end of 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 us like terminus tv is quite is quite complex like well our storage is in rust and we the database itself is in prolog which is like prolog is a bit of like you know you won't see a lot of pro, uh, prolog developers in the world <laughs> so yeah it's it's a bit you know maybe for you know people that I know maybe in the python community i know some people they also write rust but not that many because rust again like is considered one of the hardest language or something but we do have the front end part which is easier we have a javascript client and a python client so if people want to contribute i think it's the good place to start uh, at the front end and for how to maintain like the project and how people can contribute, i think the most difficult most difficult thing is the communication i have you know from my experience from you know people contributing to the, the python client that I'm so glad that there's so many people that are enthusiastic about it and have lots of suggestions. I think for someone who maintain a project, sometimes, you know, it's difficult to, you know, you have to be open-minded because, yeah, sometimes I still get a little bit of resistance deep inside me that like, oh, do I want people to do things like this? Or even sometimes my colleague would be like, suggest something that, you know, you it's the same same attitude to us like you have to be open-minded to to take you know suggestions because sometimes you your user may know better than you how they feel how they want to use your uh, product so sometimes yeah like listening would be good but again like then that bring to another difficult question is like not all the you know all the requests or all the suggestions you can implement them because like you can't you know totally flip it and become a yes man then then it would just make the project very you know diverted to different places that you may not want to be so so yeah like it's it's a very difficult balance i think and and also like you know to sometimes you have to reject people for very solid reason and but how to make them not feel too bad that's a very good you know very challenging skills as well because you know you're like well of course like you can have 
well, before the pandemic, you can have like sprints in a, in a place together, sitting in a room, and then you kind of have more human interaction with your contributors, and you know, then you could, you know, you kind of know them, and then you could kind of work with them. But nine, the relationship is just like the internet, and sometimes you know it's difficult to really present in a way that you know. To truly reflect how you feel about it, like you know, there's this really big PR that someone made, but you can't kind of like, yeah, but we are not having this right now. So how could you express that to say like, thank you so much, but you know, we can't merge it for this, this, this reason. Yeah, I think communication is quite difficult in this sense, but I think I always. I always like put people's intention to be like, you know, I assume that is good. Like even someone, you know, make a PR that is, for example, not very, not very useful in a maintainer's point of view. But I always think that well, that's at least something that someone want to do something with your project. Then I would appreciate it first, and then maybe I could, you know, communicate with the contributor saying like, maybe you. Do this if you're interested in the, you know contributing. So yeah, I think communication is difficult, and also like decision making of whether you accept an idea or not. So yeah, right. I think I think what you what you're saying is would be you know can be summarized as there's a specific you know delicate balance in the signal to noise ratio in communicating to contributors, and of course you can't say yes to everything. Yeah. Uh, that people ask for at the same time i think yeah communication of course when you have to say no to people it can be it can get particularly difficult at times i guess so yeah and do you think a lot of these challenges that you said especially about communication not in terms of decision making but generally when you are working with say working with a pull request and there's a back and forth you know on on some things that you know some approaches that you want to take as opposed to some approach that the contributor wants to take and there's a there's a disconnect there so do you think systematically there are ways to fix it as in do you think automation or do you think better you know systemic practices can be can be put put together put in place so that these things become easier for open source maintainers yeah i think I think having a standard is definitely much easier. That's why like I love Python because we have all these paths. Then people would already kind of have you know, people's, you know, direction won't be, you know, you know, different so much because there is PAP and the discussion will be around whether that is, you know, that is a good convention around this, this, this PAP or like another thing would be like oh the approach we want our approach to be as similar to what the other big library is doing as possible. So I think for an up and coming project in Python, I think it's it's quite easier in the sense that you have a lot of guidance in approach and in style in a lot of things. So yeah, I think, and also, I think a difficult bit would be for people who are new to Python that they may have from another programming language background, then they would, you know, like they want to maybe let's say do it you know do it the java way or do it you know the c way and then like oh no like we are writing python and then you kind of you have to explain that you know this is the convention we are trying to following this path or we are trying to be similar to this project which is super big in python so yeah sometimes yeah sometimes like i think there isn't that many you know 
diverse discussion within, you know, how to do it, like within the Python way of doing things. But it's just, I think the challenge would be like maybe the way that someone suggests the approach is not Python enough. So yeah, for me, I think like, even like, of course, like everything could be as just could spark a discussion, right? <laughs> you could that there was a joke about like, oh, there would be a bunch of developers talking about the approach all day, but never do anything. Um, but uh, there's just always a discussion. But I think because in Python there's so many standards and guidelines, so there isn't that as much discussion as if those doesn't exist. So yeah, so I think having them really helps. Yeah. I mean, when you have a convention in place, or when you have a style guide or a standard in place that he, that is already determined for the project, that helps a lot. But I think it's also important for projects for for projects to kind of define their direction or their conventions above the language, you know. And what I mean to say is, you know, the implementation is done in a programming language, and you can make sure that you know you're writing, say, if you're writing in Python. You make sure that you know you're writing uh, Pythonic code, or you're following Pepet, or you're following something else, right? But I think the larger challenge, the bigger challenge, would be in terms of the project's approach. Uh, I think it's it's important to kind of define that okay, these are the principles or these are the guiding values of the project itself. So when it when the time comes that you have to make a decision, or you know someone proposes something and the maintainers they need to make a decision, they can refer to these values or these written you know approaches or conventions that they need to follow right yeah, yeah, I think like yeah, a contribution guy would be something like that that you know, yeah, but like contribution guy, I think is more technical like like how to you know check or just like we have all these check where you have to pass off them or how to set it up or how to you know send a pull request the format or of this but yeah but i think more of those like approach thing that's more abstract kind of thing would be set up by usually by like the well if it's a new project by the creator themselves and then afterwards maybe if you grow into as big as something that you have a team of developers, then of course that core team of developers would be, you know, discussing them among themselves. So for someone who's contributing, then usually there would be, uh, you know, the pull request needs to be approved by the maintainer. So, so I think, yeah, I think if it's a big project among maintainers, they will have a guideline that they basically agree, you know, at a certain point that is going that direction. Uh, but I think for small project that would be the the usually that we are sole maintainer who's kind of the BDFL and then they would they would be yeah they would be you know judging that aspect of things. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think communicating that becomes becomes critical to new contributors who might not be aware of these things. So a new contributor who comes into the ecosystem, and they might not be aware of you know how this project does certain things. So I think that's where communicating these conventions or these values becomes important. And I want to kind of touch back to the earlier point that you made that, you know, communication is the most difficult part in managing contributors. So when a new uh, pull request comes and, and let's say this contributor comes along, what do you think are, you know, some of those things at, at, at Terminus DB, specifically at Terminus DB, when you manage contributors, are there something specific that you keep in mind 
when you have a conversation around code reviews like when you have like those low level code review code reviews and you know when you make this comments that hey you should not do this or you should not do do it like this are there some things that you keep in mind to make sure that those conversations happen smoothly i would say that usually if someone you know well uh well there are some like no brainers for example we have a lot of you know style check we use flagate you know um black and um all these stuff for python at least i can say for that and like those things we won't have argument on that you know if if someone doesn't follow them i would just tell them to run all these check again <laughs> but i mean like for example if it's just like approach things like for example writing a for loop or like less or less comprehension let's say then i would be like like avoid saying like oh you shouldn't do this just say like oh how about doing this i think that's better because so try to use a softer language in communication yeah i think it's it now is down to like more soft skills right how you interact with people and try to be very careful when interact with people try to be professional cuz cuz yeah like like i said like most of them the relations between you and them are just internet so you have to so like you won't be like you, you won't be like talking to them as if they are your best friend right so so yeah try to be like a uh, professional be you know friendly and patient i guess because sometimes like one pull request for some like newcomers could take a few you know back and forth to get that to a point that you're happy with it so yeah right and yeah i think i think that is that is that is fairly important you know being humane in 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 while doing code reviews and i think there have been a lot of you know guides being written on this that you know the language that you sh- that you should use and uh, the way that you should communicate that you know uh, this is wrong or something is wrong or something is right so yeah i mean as as the project grows you know it it becomes increasingly increasingly important and uh, switching back to a different topic and as you said so terminus db specifically uses prolog where you don't find a lot of developers uh, but for other projects where you know there are projects in python or javascript for example uh, how do you encourage new developers or how do you uh, get new developers to contribute to the project Oh yeah, that's like uh, where the sprints come in. So what we are doing right now is that because well, it's kind of part of it. Of course, I want more contributors to the project, but at the same time, I want to really encourage more people to have fun in contributing. Because I I do have fun myself, uh, especially at, at the start of my journey. I remember my first Hacktoberfest, which is next month. <laughs> that I was so excited. I went to an event. I I travel. You know, I I base in London and I travel. You know, take you know 3 hours go to manchester to join a full day event there just for contributing to a lot of different projects um and i was super excited i made like five pull requests that day and i was like yay i finished the challenge so yeah i really want people to enjoy that more so i really want to organize more sprints so for so right now our approach is to join a lot of conference that has sprints uh for example we just actually did our sprint in europython you know uh few months ago and the re- the result was like amazing it's like it's not how many sometimes like you know you you can count how many prs or things like but not like putting that aside i really like the energy and the engagement of the contributors 
that really moves me that I feel like, oh, yeah, people are having fun. I'm really doing something. And also, you know, we are going to, you know, join the PyData Global in November for another, you know, we will be one of the projects that will be in the sprints, you know, and also uh, we are thinking about having an event uh, in in October, which is October, (laughs) so to encourage people to contribute. So, but this year uh, it will be online for all of these events. But, but yeah, I, I hope people are still like enjoying it as you know as much. And um, and also another good thing is that having Sprint encourage lots of close interaction rather than just commenting on a PR. That you could have a live chat with people. You can even have a voice chat with people. And also for all these sprints, I tend to run a beginners workshop that I try to teach people who have never used Git or who have never contributed to open source before to make their first PL. So just try to grow this bigger. It's kind of like rolling a snowball. So yeah, for me, this is really, because I enjoyed it. I really want people to enjoy it as well. And I think it's really good for the whole, you know, kind of open source ecosystem. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's always exciting as in, you know, when you see new contributors starting to contribute. And I remember my first uh, contribution to a large open source project, and it was Django. Oh, I yeah. distinctly remember. I think I was in, I was in college. I was, I was studying engineering. And I, I have been using Django. Like I had been using Django for quite some time. And, and that was the first time that I thought I'd contribute. And I downloaded, you know, I, I cloned Django and I, I set up the test suite and, and I ran the tests. And and then Django has this massive test suite. Uh, there are like thousands of thousands of tests, right? And the first time that it ran, and it it took like say I think ten minutes or something like that on my you know dingy machine. And then the test suite passed, and I, it just felt very very good. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the first experience. And I just I had not even made a contribution, and then I made a contribution, my first PR, and then one of the one of the Core maintainers of Django of the Django project, I think Tim Tim Graham, mm. he was the one who kind of helped me, you know, get my pull request merged. And at the end of it, it was just like it was just magical, like you know, just to think about it. And I was a beginner at the time. I was a beginner, and just to think about that, hey, I have been using this this software, and now I have my code in this software, right? Yeah. And then and then later, you know, when you know when when you when you meet new developers who are starting to make contributions and when you talk to them and they have the same you know excitement when they see that hey you know w- one of the one of the people in my team they contribute they have contributed to the python project the c python right. project itself and and that's just amazing right to know that you know you have contributed to a piece of software that you use every day right and yeah. i think that's the fun of you know kind of running running a developer relations team that you know you kind of get to see this excitement in new contributors right who contribute to the projects yeah and i think i think having the user who contribute back is really good like because i think it's more like the mentality of you know people can have can have ownership of the thing that they use because they can have suggestions. I, I have, I remember I have, I was, you know, I used a website called dev.tool. I don't know whether you have heard about that. And I write, you know, I upload videos, I write blogs there. And then there was a point that, oh, I really think that it 
is lacking something. And then because they are open source, I go to their GitHub repo, I made a suggestion. And at the end, like, you know, it the ticket become like ready to death. I was like, oh my God, like they really think about my suggestion and really, you know, approved it. So yeah, so I think that is a really good user experience that they feel that they have ownership of the tool that they use and love. So yeah, so I think that's why I like open source project that much, like, because you just feel like you can be part of it. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the magic of, of open source, right? And especially when you're building tools that developers use every day, uh, you get very close to the user because, you know, you can, you, can, you can expect your end user to not just report a support ticket, like, you know, not just contact you on support, but you can expect them to actually come and contribute back and fix things for you. Yeah. And, it, it, and if you are listening closely, if as a company who's building open source software, if you're listening closely, that is like the best feedback cycle you can ever have mm-hmm. because you're so close to the user that the user is coming and making contributions to to your software, right? Yeah. So, and, and and this reminds me of you know one of the conversations that that I had uh, with one of the one of the people from a very very successful open source company, where they said that hey, we have this this and they have a they have a proprietary version of their of their product as well, and they said that hey, this company is paying us to use our product. And their users, like the, their their developers who use our product, they also contribute to our open source yep. version. So they are not just paying us to use the service, but they're also giving us their resources and making our software better. And, and that's just amazing, right? If you think about it, that's just simply amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. This was great. We talked about open source. We talked about your experience in coming from academia to building software. And then we also talked about challenges in contributing to open source, how managing contributors in an open source project, uh, what are the challenges there? So again, uh, thanks a lot for for coming on the podcast, uh, Chuk. This has been great. And uh, I think we'll stop here. To all our listeners, we'll be back in the next episode. This was episode number four with Chuk, who is a developer advocate at Terminus DB. We'll see you soon.